Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined this week, he's up in the rotation by my co-host, Dalvin Asario. Dalvin, how you doing tonight? Doing good, Joe. Doing good. Glad to be back. Um, you know, we've worked out this uh, this pick and roll thing, right, with me, you, and Scott. But I feel like, you know, when Michael took when Michael Jordan left for baseball and then they had to be like Pippen and Kukos, that's you and Scott. But then when I come back, it's like Jordan and Pippen all over again. So it feels good to be back. Absolutely. We got a good rhythm going here. And what we're going to uh, talk about today is we're going to break down the Jets' wild 38-31 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, talk about their upcoming road game against the three and eight struggling Denver Broncos. I'm sorry, three and nine now at this point after losing eight in a row. Uh, and we'll also talk about where the Jets stand overall in the AFC uh, standings and in the current draft order as of now. Before we jump into it, want to remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. If you're heading out to Denver this weekend for the game, make sure to check out primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets for some away game packages. Same thing if you're going to New Orleans the week after. That's primesport.com slash turn on the Jets. Also make sure to follow them on Twitter and Facebook. Longtime supporter of the site and the podcast, so please make sure to show some love to our friends at Primesport by checking out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets. Our podcast is also now brought to you by Razor Sport. That's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. They are the best betting consultants you could find out there. They gave a great call to us on Twitter this week about hitting that over in the Baltimore-Detroit game uh, at 43, which of course hit. Uh, so make sure to check them out. Give them a follow on Twitter as well at Razor Sport Club. Again, that's Razorsport.com, R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Uh, we'll definitely be linking out to them at our buffet this week. And for any of the action that you're looking for this week- weekend, make sure to check out their members section and sign up for free with Razor Sport. All right, Jets Chiefs. This game started out extremely ugly for the Jets. They fell behind 14-0 in the blink of an eye. Uh, two wide-open touchdowns to Travis Kelsey, who was able to beat Marcus May down the field uh, on the second one. Looked like we were en route to a blowout 2016 style, but the Jets battled back. Uh, offensively, after the first drive, the Jets were terrific. They were basically unstoppable, particularly on third downs. They racked up 38 points. Uh, both Robbie Anderson and Jermaine Kearse go over 100 yards. Uh, second week in a row that they've done that, which is a pretty crazy stat to really think about. 
probably the best game Josh McCown played all season. I've been pretty tepid with my praise for McCown because I think his box score has probably exaggerated how many plays he's left on the field, but th- that was not the case against Kansas City. He was excellent in this game from start to finish, and particularly on third down. The Chiefs just had no answer for the Jets' offense. Um, McCown had two QB sneaks for a touchdown, um, threw a touchdown to Matt Forte. Uh, the Jets hit a late two-point conversion to Elijah McGuire. Defensively, they struggled, giving up two huge touchdowns to Tyree Kill, one where he beat Rashard Robinson, who was given a chance to start but struggled substantially, uh, and one where he beat Morris Claiborne. Um, so uh, a tough performance for the Jets' defense, but their offense picked them up, uh, and they were able to beat a reeling Chiefs team who has now lost 6 of 7, lost to both the Giants and Jets at MetLife Stadium. And the win moves the Jets to 5-7 and seven, uh, with four games left, three on the road where they've struggled this year. So, Dalton, what were your initial thoughts on this game, particularly when the Jets fell behind 14-0 in the blink of an eye? I mean, I, I look forward to Dan's tweet summaries uh, every week because I, I think this was the quintessence. This was the prototypical game where you would see folks spout off at like, oh, see, look, that's it. You know, this is the kind of game that gets bulls fired. And this is proof that the Cagnon hasn't done a good job and, you know, all these things. And realistically... I mean, it was the first time that I felt the Jets came out really, really flat. Um, and I mean, in all facets, because in all facets, because I do believe that versus Tampa, I think the offense came out flat. I don't think the defense did, um, but I think the offense did. This was a team-wide effort falling down 14-0 and refusing to cover Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, um, you know, or covering them one-on-one. I So... I, I was I was watching the game and thinking, all right, well, eventually I was like, I don't think Bowles will ever put a safety above either of them. And folks are like, oh, my God, you have to adjust. You have to adjust. I think even Connor had said it like, you know, he's like, oh, that was a bad job on Robinson. But you have to put a safety above him. And I'm not necessarily I don't I'm not of the belief of that because I don't I think you you have to trust that Alex Smith cannot beat your defense. Right. And I, and I think that's what Todd Bowles was banking on. He was banking on. We have to stop Kareem Hunt because he is the engine for this offense. And then Alex Smith will give you enough plays like, yeah, sure, you may score enough, but he's going to give you enough plays where your defense has a shot. Um, so at 14, no, I don't think I don't think I was nervous, but I did I did find it very interesting that they came out flat. But then they answered right away. I think that was the biggest thing. Right. Josh McCown, like you mentioned, played probably his best game. But also, I think. You saw John Morton use use Matt Forte in the, in, in, as a wide receiver as opposed to just running him into the belly of the defense. You saw the Jets start to figure out that, you know what, the Chiefs are also going to play one-on-one on the outside too, so we're going to take some shots down the field. I mean, how surprised were you that Bob Sutton left? And again, I think Marcus Peters is probably the best cornerback in football, but how surprised were you that they left Darrell Revis on an island? Because I know that surprised me. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this was a great game for John Morton. He completely carved up Sutton, and Revis looked like the guy he was last year. He looked out of shape. He looked slow. He couldn't tackle. And the Chiefs just had no answer for Anderson or Kirst. Kirst did most of his damage from the slot, where he was really going up and down the field um, on whoever the Chiefs were throwing at him. And Revis and whoever was trying to cover Anderson on the outside was just giving off a huge cushion. And there was just no answer. I mean, Anderson has obviously beat enough teams over the top where you've got to respect his speed, but right. to just allow him to do whatever he want underneath. I mean, it's why the Jets kept moving the ball on third down, and the Jets were using really good creative route combinations. There were receivers running wide open all over the field repeatedly on third down, and they took advantage. And I mean, this Chiefs team, 5-0, and it killed New England early in the mm-hmm. year. To lose three straight games, I mean, they've obviously lost six out of seven, but to lose to the Giants the Bills, and then this game to the Jets, who have really, you know, come into this game losing, I think, five or six. It's, you know, they're completely cratering at this point. You have to think the Chargers uh, are the favorite in the AFC West now. So 
you know, I think the hope is that the Jets clean up whatever mistakes they made defensively. They're obviously going to get a much easier task this week going against Trevor Simeon uh, and a pretty bad Denver's offense, a Denver team that's been as bad as anyone in the NFL over the past two months. And, you know, this is kind of interesting because it's a very similar situation to what happened about a month ago. The Jets had lost three games in a row. Um, then they go out and beat Buffalo, and most people didn't expect them to win. Uh, the following week, they're playing a bad Tampa team on the road. Everyone expects them then to win, and they go out and lose 15-10. to 10. The Jets come back after that. They lose to Carolina, so they've lost two games in a row. They beat Kansas City. Now they're playing a bad Denver team on the road, and everyone's going to expect them to win. The Lions will pick them as of now, which means that Denver isn't even getting the points for being a home team. Uh, I'd say this is a dangerous game for the Jets. Uh, the Jets are a better team than Denver. Uh, it makes sense to pick the Jets to win this game, but the Jets were 1-4 on the road, and their only win is against Cleveland, and they won that game by three points. And Tampa is a bad team, and the Jets found a way to lose that game. They've basically been a different team on the road at this point, and they got to show maturity to go out and beat a team that they're probably better than right now uh, and handle business and show that they're not getting a little too high on themselves uh, after just winning one game because they're only 5-7. and seven. It's not like this team is 7-5 right. or 8-4 and four or something. So... You can't get too high after a win, can't get too low after a loss. And I, I just hope the Jets can avoid that similar letdown to what they had against Tampa because that was such an, you know, an ugly performance in a game that if they win, uh, they're much more in the re- realistic talk of a playoff spot because, honestly, they really aren't at this point. They could win out, which would be very challenging with upcoming games with New Orleans, San Diego, and Los Angeles, uh, and then New England, who might not have anything to play for. But still... Even if they do win out, they might not get in because all the Ravens got to do is take care of their business when they play the Browns, the Texans, and the Bengals, and they'll be in good, they'll be in good shape to uh, get that uh, type of placement for the uh, sixth seed. I mean, what do you think of this matchup against Denver, Dalvin? Yeah, I mean, Denver's a team that hasn't has scored, you know, under twenty that has scored to under twenty three points in seven straight games, eight straight games now that, that that they've lost. I mean, they scored they scored ten against the Giants. They were shut out by the Chargers. They scored nineteen against the Chiefs. They scored twenty three against the Eagles. Sixteen against the Patriots. Seventeen against the Bengals. Fourteen against the Raiders, and nine against the Dolphins. And again, this isn't a murderer's row of defenses, right? Like they're not playing the two thousand Ravens or the eighty six Bears or the two thousand nine jets like that's not what they're doing they are they are a bat they are a team that realistically should be better because there's so much talent there but because of the deficiencies at quarterback then you're kind of seeing it whereas if you flipped them right if you gave the jets trevor simeon the jets are probably two and 11 right or three you know three and ten heading into this final stretch run but denver with josh mccown would probably be better than they are right now just because he's the kind of quarterback that can use their weapons he can use the marius thomas he can use emmanuel sanders down the field the biggest thing, I think, for, for this game is that it's in Denver, like you mentioned. And while the Jets are a different team on the road altogether, like in terms of just playing poorly, Denver's still a pretty tough place to play. I mean, they they just they, – it's just because of the air, because of the thin air and the defense and, and all that. You do have to worry about there being a letdown. But realistically, Denver's so bad that it may not even matter. The thing that the Jets are going to come – are going to kind of realize as they traverse through this, like, you know, this final stretch is what kind of team do they want to be heading into next year? Because I don't think that, I mean, we can sit here and say, man, if they run the table, they will be nine and seven and whatever the case may be. And, you know, the chips fall where they may, but realistically, this is a team that they're, they're not a, they're not a 
five-win talent team. Like, there's not a lot of talent on the team, and they've exceeded, you know, expectations, largely in part to the coaching staff, but also a career year by Josh McCown, and he's been healthy, a, a breakout year by Robbie Anderson, a solid year by Jermaine Curse, and some timely play, some situational play, which falls back on coaching, right? Because like I mentioned in the first part, the first question you asked, Todd Bowles didn't put a safety above Tariq Hill and Travis Kelsey until it was the last drive where he was like, you know what, you're not going to beat me deep. And, and Hill did get deep for like a 40-yard catch, but he was very adamant. He was not. He knew, he knew down and distance. He knew what Alex Smith needed to do to beat him. And he said, you know what, we're not letting you get behind any of my cornerbacks. So he adjusted. The coaching staff has done a good job of adjusting through, you know, through, this, through the season. And now these last Last four games, that's going to be the biggest thing, Joe. It's going to be, are they the team that lost five of six and really struggled against Tampa and against Miami and, you know, struggled against Buffalo week one? Or are they the team that's shown that they can play up to New England, play up to Atlanta, dominate Kansas City? Because, again, Kansas City got a 14-0, and then they scored 17 points the rest of the way because the defense was the defense was on them all the time. So it's time for, the, for us to find out what kind of team this team is going to be, not just for the rest of this year, but also going into next year. And, again, a lot of people want to talk about, well, you know, Bowles is probably going to be gone or whatever. Because we, I, I, you and I, I think, are in agreement that he wasn't going to go anywhere. But this is a good way to show, like, look, that team didn't quit being down 14-0, and it's a testament to the coach. Yeah, I think two things people could stop talking about now. McCown's not getting benched at any point this year. He's going to play out the string, uh, and Bowles is going to be back next year. There's not enough games left for even if the Jets lose their Final Four, which I, I do think is a possibility um, for him to get fired. It's just not going to happen at this point. You could debate whether that's the right or wrong decision, and I had a little tweet thread about this today, but we're still in a weird spot where Bowles seems to get all of the blame, but never any of the credit. And I, again, I am of the opinion that both Bowles and McCagnan have been below average to average at their job through two and three quarters of a year. But it's odd to me to put all of the negativity on one of them and all positivity on the other. I think they've both done roughly about as well as each other. And I get the decision to bring them both back. I, I get disagreeing with that decision, but I don't think there's any particular reason to think one deserves to stay over the other. It, it can't be that when the Jets are struggling or playing poorly, oh, it's all coaching. When they're playing well, oh, look how smart McKagan is for finding X player or X player. The Jets are starting two rookies at safety. They're starting a UDFA at corner in Dale Roberts most week. They're starting a UDFA at outside linebacker. Their journeyman quarterbacks having a career year. Their best receiver is a UDFA. Some of that goes to coaching, getting guys who – were lowly regarded coming out of college to produce at this level. It's not all coaching. Some of it's finding that talent in the first place. But for the credit that goes to the front office for that, some credit goes for the coaching staff as well. And for the plenty of mistakes that Bulls and staff are making because they're far from perfect and they're far, far from anything, been far from anything but average at this point, blame goes back down to the GM too because this is still a weak overall roster. I mean, I think one thing to remember is that 19 of the 32 teams in the NFL right now are 500 or better. And the Jets are mm -hmm. one of the 13 who aren't. So, yes, they've been, it's been good to see them be competitive every week. They've definitely been more competitive overall than I thought they would, although their record right now doesn't overly shock me. Uh, although it does appear that they may finish at a 6-10, and 10, maybe, maybe a 7-9 and nine rather than the 5-11 and 11 we initially thought. Uh, but I just don't, I don't get pinpointing or scapegoating just one person because both of these guys have done roughly the same job. Wouldn't you think, Theo? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. The, it's always fascinating to me which players we attribute their development to what, right? Because for me, if Robbie Anderson's having a breakout year, I directly credit that to the coaching staff. Same way, like, okay, Alvin Kamara got drafted to the Saints. I'm crediting Sean Payton with the development of him, right? And again, Marshawn Lattimore went to the Saints. I'm crediting the development of him to Sean Payton because I think the development of these players strictly falls on the coaches. So if you believe Quincy Anua broke out, then that happened under Todd Bowles. If you believe Robbie Anderson has broken out, that's happened under Todd Bowles. If you believe that Austin Safarian Jenkins is being used better than he was in Tampa Bay, then that's happened under Todd Bowles. If you believe that, you know, Darren Lee has suddenly become a functional inside linebacker, that's happened under Todd Bowles. And so I think the the frustrating part, I think, for some for some fans is that they are very quick to, to decide, okay, no, this has to go in Mac's bucket, whereas this can't go to Bowles, where realistically Mac found the player, so he deserves credit for that, right? Like he deserves credit for finding a, a, a dynamic rec a receiver that he thought had dynamic potential as an undrafted free agent in Robbie Anderson. He deserves credit for, for realizing, you know what? I'm going to get Seattle not only to give me a second-round pick, but they're also going to give me a solid receiver in Jermaine Curse. Curse isn't a great receiver, but you need a veteran on in this receiver group, especially after Quincy Anua went down, so you bring in Jermaine Curse. You give credit to McCagnan for saying, you know what, we need a tight end, and Austin, Austin Safarian Jenkins may not pay dividends this year, but next year I think he'll be better because he'll be, battle, he'll be coming back from his sobriety battle and all that. But now you have to give credit to Bowles for using these players correctly. Are there things that he needs to do better? Of course. There's things McCagnan needs to do better, too. McCagnan needs to do a better job of finding a quarterback. McCagnan needs to do a better job of finding a game-breaker outside Robbie Anderson on this offense because, realistically, he hasn't found one yet. He hasn't found somebody that the Jets can go to other than Robbie Anderson and say, you know what, we need a home-run play. And I like Robbie Anderson as much as the next person, but realistically, he's still developing as a receiver. But four or five weeks ago, he could only run one route. He's, he has one trick that he runs consistently, and that's a fly route. But the Jets, if they need a first down, who are they going to? They don't really have that. And when games get tight in the fourth quarter, that's when you see the talent disparity. I think that McCagney has done a fair job. I think that a lot of people want to sit there. And I was having this conversation with somebody, like, when they were asking about Jordan Jenkins or whatever the case may be. And, like, I look at him as a, he's, a, he's an okay player. Could you have done differently? You could have. You could have gone and found a different edge rusher or whatever the case may be. I think that there's this rush to proclaim wins for McCagney because people like him more than Bowles or because people want him to stay more than Bowles. And it makes no sense to me because if – if you're crediting it as a win for McCagnan, you have to credit it as a win for Bowles because Bowles is the one that's playing these guys. Bowles is the one that's developing these guys. So I, I find I just I find it odd. I find it very weird. I also find it really funny that people are very quick to just say, well, you know what? No, we can't credit Bowles for this because, you know, he it, he had nothing to do with it. Well, then who did? These players didn't magically become good. Robbie Anderson was passed over 242 times in the NFL draft and the Jets found him and then Todd Bowles said, you know what, we could probably use you. And he figured that out. So I think it's I think it's really weird because I think they both have done a decent job. I think they both have done a pretty average job. I think there's things they both can do better at and they and they're going to be better together, I think, as they continue to grow. But if you're going to fire one, I think you have to fire the other. I think both of them, if you're going to fire either one, they have to go because you can't repeat the same mistakes you repeated where you had to hire Idzik because you kept Rex and all that. And realistically, Jet fans don't see that. But enough enough with the it's a win for this person versus a win for this person. I, I think that's a joke. Yeah, I think I just think the jobs they do go hand in hand. I think you laid that out well, and I, I just think you know you have to. It shouldn't be 
a win for this guy, a win for this guy, and they all go in different buckets. I think the jobs they do complement each other when it's been good and when it's been bad. On the whole, it's been right. more bad than good, probably, if you look at their record overall. But this year, there's been obviously some positives to talk about. So before we wrap, what do we think about this matchup against Denver? Denver allegedly has a pretty good defense. Uh, obviously, they have some decent talent at receiver, but they're terrible at quarterback. They haven't been able to run the football. Uh, I believe they've lost eight games in a row after starting 3-1. and one. Uh, They got killed by Miami last week, who was an awful football team. So uh, it's an ugly season for Denver, and the Jets should win this game. I think if the Jets protect the football, start fast, which they didn't do in Tampa, they should win. And there's an excuse to, to lose this game. And if they lose... You know, all, the, all that feel-good vibes from beating Kansas City go away because you're 1-5 on the road. Uh, how do you see this playing out? This feels like a low-scoring game to me. I think mostly everyone will pick the Jets to win, but it feels like a coin flip game to me that both teams will score roughly around 20 points and will be, be decided, I think, somewhere in the final minutes. But what do you think, Dalvin? Yeah, I mean, I think you're looking at a 12-10, you know, maybe 15-12. It's a kicker's game, a special teams game. Uh, Denver, for all of their flaws, I think you're talking about still boast arguably the, if not the best duo at cornerback in football, then definitely top five with Talib and Chris Harris. Um, they also get pressure on the quarterback with Von Miller and, and Shane Ray, which, again, the Jets have struggled with that. And in their games, in their in their poor performances, that's usually what you see. It's McCown on his back. It's Wesley Johnson getting pushed back into McCown's lap, not allowing him to step up and take the vertical shots. I would, I honestly would be surprised if uh, if Robbie Anderson is able to beat Denver deep, but Vance Joseph is a guy who, again, comes from that play man and, you know, we have our two studs and let's see how it works. Um, I think the biggest key, honestly, is going to be Austin Safarian Jenkins and Elijah Maguire slash Bilal Powell slash Matt Forte because you're, you're going to need to run screens and you're going to need to attack the middle of the field in order to slow that pass rush of Denver. Um, so honestly, I think 15-12, 12-9, I think it comes down to the kickers and I think the Jets win it late on a field goal, which... I know Jeff fans don't want to hear that, but it absolutely throws a wrench in the whole you want to get a quarterback next year plan, you know, through the draft. Because if they get six wins, then, and we'll obviously talk about this in Game of Tanks this week, but you get six wins, you're now suddenly looking on the outside in for the Iron Throne. So it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think let, let's see how this week plays out. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these final weeks sort of shake out in terms of AFC standings and draft standings. Right now, the Jets would pick 11th, and they are the 11th seed in the AFC. So right in the middle of no man's land. But we'll see how that plays out the, uh, the next few weeks. want to remind you guys to subscribe to the Play Like a Jet podcast. Scott Mason is currently working through a four-part interview with Marcus Coleman about the Monday Night Miracle. Make sure to check out our new Play Like a Jet shirt in the Loyalist store. Make sure to subscribe to Play Like a Jet on iTunes. Or check out the episodes on TurnOnTheJets.com. Obviously, make sure to subscribe to this podcast, Turn on the Jets podcast, on iTunes. Also get episodes on our website. Check out our new, obviously the Jets know something up, something, something the people up here don't shirt. Uh, follow Dolvin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. Follow me on Twitter at J Caparoso. Any final sign-off words, Dolvin? Yeah, I mean, same thing as always, man. Just enjoy these last four games because realistically, think about it. These are the last four games, and then we won't get football back for another seven, eight months. And this team could look very, very differently. Like, no Muhammad Wilkerson, uh, maybe no Demario Davis. You just never know. Maybe no Josh McCown. Definitely no Matt Forte. Uh, so this will probably be a very different team than when we kick this thing off in a few months. So just enjoy the last four, the last four games and stop trolling me because I see the subtweets and I don't reply to them. So... <laughs> 
Just add him. Add the guy. Just add him. Just at me. Just at me. We can talk about it. <laughs> we'll, add, we'll add Muhammad Lucas in here. I cannot wait till this dude is off the team. I cut his contract. He's done. I don't want to hear it anymore. He's been a complete bust since he signed that deal. No excuse to bring him back next year. Hate to say Manish was right on one, but he was right on this one. And it's time for Wilkerson to go. And on that note. Yep, agreed. Make sure you're back next week. We'll talk about Denver and we'll preview the New Orleans game. Thank you, everybody, for listening.